Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, what's up? This is Nolan from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are the world's number one automotive podcast, and this week it's part two of our series on Nissan, our conclusion of the Nissan story. We're talking about all the iconic Nissan sports cars in this episode. I'm talking Z car. How'd that even come to be? It turns out the guy responsible for it developed it in secret and then had to act surprised when the engineers showed it off for the rest of the company leadership. Very funny. Uh, and then, of course, Skyline GTR, Datsun 510. A little car called Godzilla. They're all in this episode. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. It's part two of Nissan by Past Gas by Donut Media. Listen today. Three hundred thousand fans gathered at Indianapolis Motor Speedway to witness the 1986 Indianapolis 500. Drivers hurled their open-wheel race cars around the two and a half mile oval at speeds well over 200 miles per hour. Randy Lanier was one of them. When the race was over, Randy came in tenth place. Not bad for a guy who had started racing only three years before. But there was something different about Randy's car. Unlike his competition, his car wasn't plastered with corporate title sponsors like Budweiser or Pennzoil. Randy paid for his racing another way. Ooh. Uh, hint, hint. The car just said cocaine on the side. <laughs> Welcome to Past Gas by Donut Media. Past Gas Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Past Gas Podcast. If you like Past Gas, please help us grow by giving us a good rating and a nice review on the podcast platform of your choice. It'll really help us out, and I really appreciate that. So thank you. All right, now for the show. We say this every time we record, but like doing the podcast is like our favorite. It's a thing. it's like a front. We record them on Friday. Yep. It's out of the office. We're in a studio. We always go to lunch afterwards. Yep. It's like a fun Friday vibe. We got Colby in the studio today. Yeah. Colby, are the editor of Up to Speed and the uh, podcast. <laughs> uh, and then we got Felipe shooting today. Felipe directs bumper to bumper, and we have our producer extraordinaire, Christina here as well so it's like a family affair can't wait to go yeah. to hyperion public and eat some lemon pepper wings after this <laughs> this is how they get me to go like james all right cool man just like 
go do it, and then we get them lemon peppers, baby. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> just the forefront of your mind the whole episode. <laughs> yeah, the whole episode. I might drop lemon pepper wings <laughs> in this. Today we are talking about a really crazy story. Yeah, this one's nuts. It's a one-parter on uh, a guy named Randy Lanier, one of the most promising uh, rookie drivers of the 1980s, and also one of the largest drug traffickers in U.S. history. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yeah! Uh, all in all, he smuggled a total of 600,000 pounds of marijuana into this country, and uh, he was a very prolific kingpin. That is so sick. Race car driver slash smuggler. How old was this dude? Uh, he started smuggling when he was, I think, 20? And we dropped that number, yeah. 600,000 pounds. Like, when you're 20 years old and you're dealing drugs at a high school parking lot, it's a little different. Yeah. And <laughs> this guy had a sick job on top of it. Yeah. Professional race car driver slash pot dealer. Slash uh, boat rental business owner. Yeah. yeah. I bet this dude had the sickest pager. <laughs> it's like gold plated. <laughs> yeah. Or like, I don't even know what the 80, I mean- was just having a pager cool in the 80s? Yeah, dude. That was just like so the forefront. Cool. I had a pager my freshman year in high school. Damn. Yeah, dude. I bet <laughs> you got so late. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, I got to find a phone. My dad just texted me 911. <laughs> um, I remember in elementary school, speaking of uh, young drug dealers, there is a kid who... Uh, <laughs> oh, his name. Uh, I won't say his last name, but Chris, um, he claimed that he sold another kid a bag of weed, but it was just like eraser shavings in a bag. <laughs> that kid is stupid. That's not even the right color. It was like fourth grade. We didn't know, but Damn. still like. All right. Our sources for this week um, are a couple articles. There's Randy Lanier, IndyCar driver and drug smuggler by L. John Wertheim in the Sports Illustrated and Weed Racer, the unlikely rise and epic fall of Florida's Marijuana Smuggling Kingpin by Damon Tabor uh, in Rolling Stone. Great. All right. Let's get into the story of Randy Lanier, the weed racer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Randy Lanier was born in Lynchburg, Virginia on September 22nd, 1954. His family moved to Broward County, Florida when he was 13. There were few things a good old boy such as Randy loved more than pot. He would frequently sneak out of school just to head to the beach and smoke, smoke a doob. <laughs> By the age of 15, he was selling pot to his classmates. Even after he dropped out of high school, he would continue to sell to his GED classmates. <laughs> Randy would say, honestly, I didn't even think about it as drug dealing. It was just a way for me to smoke without having to pay for it. <laughs> cool mentality. When did <laughs> when did you first smoke, smoke pot? Yeah, uh, I was probably fourteen. Fourteen. Mm -hmm. I think at that point I was too afraid of it because like there is on on my way to school there is a tunnel that went under a freeway that I had mm -hmm. to go through yeah. and like that's where like the the stoners or the burnouts would like smoke uh -huh. and they all kind of frightened me a little bit. Rightfully um, so. Yeah, they were kind of rough kids but um i i was never about that in high school i thought like i think i'm looking back on it, it was pretty like dude you're being kind of like weird i couldn't wait to smoke pot yeah yeah i would have smoked pot way earlier if i were popular <laughs> enough to have any friends yeah like years later i realized that tons of kids i knew were smoking weed and they were like totally cool but it was just like those tunnel kids <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that scared me away <laughs> the from it the sewer the first time i smoked was in college 
um, on top of a parking garage that was across the street from our dorm. Mm -hmm. And of course, like, it was out of an apple. Of course. Yeah, that's like, I think everybody's first mm -hmm. experience is out of an apple. And of course, it didn't have any effect on me. And then the second time it did, me and my boy Tyler went back to our, our dorm room and we did freestyle raps over, yeah. over Mac Miller of course you did. for yes, like you two did. hours. That's awesome. That's <laughs> yeah. the way to do it. Yeah, it was pretty sick. I mean, when I was a kid, like, weed culture was just so much, it was just painted in such a different way. Yeah. You know, like, now you can it's fly out of LAX with weed in your pocket. Yeah. They're like, eh, we don't care. Some of these stores in LA look like the freaking Apple store. Yeah, like MedMen and stuff. It's, a, it's crazy. And it's like, it's very convenient and you don't, you don't feel weird about buying pot. Mm -hmm. But I feel like I definitely like missed out on like that, like illicit like. Yeah, I used to smoke such crappy pot. But the fact that there are people making billions of dollars off of weed right now, and still people serving life sentences for yeah. possession or selling, is a huge problem yep. that we should address. Yep. Maybe definitely. in another <laughs> discussion <laughs> for another, another day on another episode of <laughs> Pascals. Anyway, uh, by the age of nineteen. Randy began working for a construction company where he continued to sell to his coworkers. <laughs> he's like not only a drug dealer, he's kind of just like a lazy drug dealer. He's like, I don't know who, who's around, man. <laughs> Over time, his clientele grew, increasing the size of his orders as well as his profits. As Sports Illustrated put it, in time, joints turned into baggies. Ooh. Baggies turned into bags. Yeah. Bags turned into bricks. Ooh. Bricks became bales. That's, bales of dude, weed. <laughs> that's like a push of tea. Yeah. Like, yeah. That is a... <laughs> joints turned into baggies. <laughs> I can't do his flow. Anyway. I know. It's hard. He's very good. To the 19-year-old Randy, drug dealing was the most promising career <laughs> opportunity he had. He said, let's just say... I was definitely making more money than I made nailing boards all day. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> One of his last purchases. One of his first purchases. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just want to point out how like good this dude is at just sound clips. Yeah. You know, like. He, he, yeah. Very romantic quotes. Yeah. One of his first purchases with his newfound wealth was a 27-foot Magnum Sport speedboat he purchased for 18 grand. Initially, the boat was only used recreationally. He would jump waves and just, you know, cruise around. Oh, yeah. But before long, an associate recommended he put that boat into, quote, commercial use. Like selling ice cream from the boat, James? I doubt it, Nolan. <laughs> Oh, but I looked up these Magnum boats. Mm -hmm. This speedboat in particular is mm -hmm. like so cool, dude. Yeah. Just long as hell, low, just fast. They're sick. This guy's cool. Yeah. And just like that, Randy Lanier moved from being a low-level drug dealer to a mid-level trafficker. And the timing couldn't have been better. Mm. It was the early 1970s. It was a smuggler's paradise, man. It was like the pirate days. <laughs> <laughs> Trafficking into the U.S., specifically from Colombia, was still an unknown threat that would soon become one of the biggest drug crises in U.S. history. And a new exotic strain of marijuana called Colombian gold was Ooh. being grown on Colombia's Guajira Peninsula. And it was beginning to flood the American black market. The arrival of Colombian gold fueled a boom in America known as La Bonanza Mirimbera. <laughs> The Mara, which loosely translates into the marijuana bonanza. Whoa. 
Guys, we got a marijuana bonanza on our hands. <laughs> of course, Florida was the best place to import such a large amount. By the early 80s, about three quarters of the United States' marijuana supply originated from Colombia. crazy. In his first mission... He went to the Bahamas to pick up one ton of marijuana. <laughs> so, dude, you're going from, like, street dealing to, like, your yeah. coworkers to, like, yeah, I'm going to drive my boat to the middle of the ocean and pick up yeah. a ton of pot. 2,000 pounds of weed. That's crazy. Uh, Randy showed up to these specified coordinates in the middle of the ocean, and another bigger boat would, like, pull up next to them, and they transferred hey the weed. Yeah, what's up, guys? And yeah. they're just like... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and they transferred all the bales from the big boat into uh, the hull of Randy's speedboat. And then he would get the hell out of there. All right. Thanks, fellas. <laughs> Time to go back to Florida. Toot sweet. Woo! I picture him just like wearing a cowboy hat <laughs> yeah. and like no shirt, yeah, but no. jean shorts. I'm imagining him as Matthew McConaughey in this story from now on. Yeah, I think that's a good way to yeah. imagine him. Yeah. Uh, this, this technique uh, was super common. Speedboats like Randy's were fast enough to evade the long arm of the law. Uh, and it wasn't difficult for smugglers to slip up the intercoastal waterway and hide in a labyrinth of Florida swamps. <clears throat> According to a CIA report, one trafficker could earn a return investment of around 115%. So it made sense for Randy to do this with a speedboat. And naturally, after, you know, I mean, it sounds like the CIA is like, Trying to get people to do it, which they probably were. I, you could get a return of 115 yeah. percent. Why don't you come to this lunch at the Holiday Inn, and uh, I'll tell you all about a way that you can get up to 115 percent return on your investment with one boat ride. We'll even lease you the boat. Yeah, very reasonable interest rates. Naturally, Randy was hooked. He did this trip. He did this kind of trip often. In spite of risks, Lanier loved tempting fate and living on the edge of disaster. Ooh, it's like a Kenny Loggins lyric. <laughs> <laughs> he had multiple close calls, including one time almost sinking his boat as it was weighed down so much by marijuana. Despite everything, he frequently eluded capture by the U.S. Coast Guard and received a 25% cut of his deliveries. That's a. That seems like a lot. I mean, he's taken all the risks. Yeah. To me, that's... I guess he was just like a runner. Yeah. Yeah. So he wasn't dealing to the public anymore. No, he was just. There was like a guy from yeah. the ocean. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, Postmates for weed. Yeah. In a in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Do you use Postmates anymore? I use Postmates way too much. I try to be waste free. Mm -hmm. But you know, sometimes you just. You just want a pack of M&M's. I never did M&M's. <laughs> in 1976, at the age of 22, uh, Lanier married his high school sweetheart, Pam. Mm. With her help, he opened a jet ski and boat rental shop near Fort Lauderdale as a front to launder the money and present an air of legitimacy. Under the guise of a boat rental shop, he soon purchased a 65-foot trawler. Uh, I looked... What I looked up what these are. Trawlers are basically really big boats. Um, there could be like recreational trawlers or fishing trawlers. Like just imagine a big sixty-five foot boat. Look up a you can look it up. Um you you'll probably imagine the right thing. It's a big, big boat with lots Whoa! of room. Yeah, you got one of those. Uh with uh they got, they got a lot of room. That's bigger than I thought. Yep. 
65 feet. Damn. <laughs> With a boat this thick. <laughs> that is a thick boat. <laughs> you could smuggle directly from Colombia, no longer having to stop and meet a, a, a mothership down in the Bahamas. With each delivery he made with the 65-foot boat, he could smuggle over 18,000 pounds of pot into the U.S. That's a lot of sweet, sweet greens. That's a lot of nugs. Uh, (laughs) And despite the massive quantities he was now smuggling, he was always smart about it, never visiting the same port twice in a row. He would load up in the port of Santa Mata in Colombia, and uh, he would either dock in the U.S. in New Orleans San Francisco, and sometimes Bridgeport, Connecticut. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, far ways up the coast. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the, at those three locations, that's a huge spread. Mm-hmm. Like, some of those trips could take like a week, some of them could take like three weeks to get there. You know, that's, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Smuggling, much like racing and comedy, <laughs> is all about timing. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lanier loved the adrenaline rush of almost being caught, of doing something so illegal, but he needed more. One day, while visiting an auto show that was taking place within the Miami Convention Center, Lanier stumbled upon a booth that was sponsored by a local driving club. He immediately realized that racing would give him the high he needed and Mm. impulsively signed up. And that is when the racing career of Randy Lanier started in 1978 at the age of 24. Dude, this guy's. I'm 26 now. Yeah, and you don't even own one boat. <laughs> I don't own a boat. Yeah. I've never smuggled shit. <laughs> this dude's in his third career now. Yeah. Oh you my know, God. He started out as like a drug dealer. Yeah. Then he's a drug trafficker. Now he owns a boat rental company. That's three. And now he's like, you know what, man? I think I'm going to give this race car driving thing <laughs> a try. That's so awesome. Randy bought a 1956 Porsche 356 Speedster for 7500 bucks and competed in the e-production class races at the SCCA Southeast Regional Championships. Although he had no clue what he was doing, he was a natural. With each race, he proved drastically, eventually winning the e-production class in 1980 at age 26. How old I am, I've never won any production class, so I'm feeling a little inadequate. But that's fine. Uh, later that year, while competing in the SCCA runoffs outside of Atlanta, Rainier set up in a paddock right next door to a Formula Ford team. The contrast between Lanier's car and the Ford was pretty obvious. Lanier was driving a small blue 50s Porsche Speedster with a bolt-in roll cage, and at one point it was completely covered in rust. It was a pretty ratty-looking car. Uh, The small four-cylinder Porsche had nothing in terms of either power or style compared to the V8-powered open-wheel Ford Racer parked next to him. We'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. 
or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Lanier had always loved the aesthetic of open wheel racing and hoped to someday drive one himself. Well, little did he know he would. Okay, so here's the thing about Randy Lanier. He's from Florida. Right? He's mm-hmm. a Florida guy. Florida. I've lived in Florida. I know what these guys are like. Yep. We, uh, Jeremiah, one of our writers. Oh, yeah. From Jeremiah's Florida. from Florida. Yeah. And J- this is a lot like Jeremiah. Uh, uh, I'm imagining him now as Jeremiah. Oh, uh, yeah. Probably yeah. not as tall. Probably not. Jeremiah's 6'5. Yeah. He's tall. So Randy's from Florida. So he liked to do, you know, Florida dude stuff. Like to kill time before races, he would do wheelies on his four wheeler in the pit. And after a few minutes of doing some loud and sick wheelies, The driver of the Formula Ford and his father exited their trailer and confronted him. They claimed that Lanier was disturbing the peace Uh, in the pits. What a Formula Ford thing to say. What a nerd. Little did Lanier know, or care for that matter, was that the driver of the Ford was none other than John Paul Jr. and his father, you guessed it, John Paul Sr., both of whom were absolute racing royalty at the time. Another thing Randy didn't know was that the Pauls had a little operation of their own going on. We'll talk about that a little later. In 1981, Randy made his IMSA GT Series debut in the 1981 Daytona Finale. Partnering up with Dale Whittington, one of three Whittington brothers, they finished 30th overall. Not not a great finish. Not very good. The following season... He raced in the 24 Hours of Daytona as a member of the North American Racing Team, driving their Ferrari. Uh, But before that race, teammate Desiree Wilson said Randy was unfit to drive. Wilson claimed he had seen Randy acting nervously and erratically in the pits, but Lanier was still allowed to drive. He probably shouldn't have, though, because 18 hours into the race, Randy took the wheel Up to this point, the team had been holding the race in a solid third-place position. Not bad. But almost immediately, Randy drove the car off the course into the green and totaled the suspension, taking the team out of the race completely. Despite that, the North American racing team, they were pretty forgive and forget about it. Uh, And he was invited to race multiple races, scoring his first IMSA finish with a third-place victory at the Mid-Ohio Six Hours. I've been to that course. It's beautiful. I want to go there. Yeah, it's great. Randy's skills were improving with every race. He had impressed the bosses at Ferrari and was invited to drive for Ferrari at the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 1982. Wow. That's a pretty big that, deal. Yeah. A year later, he was invited back for the 24 Hours of Daytona and placed second. Damn. Lanier started racing later in life, defying expected norms that to become a race car driver, you had to train from the minute you get behind the wheel of a car and have to be best friends with your dad. <laughs> Unlike traditional racers, Lanier had joined on a whim as an impulsive decision and to seek an adrenaline rush and discovered, hey, man, I'm pretty good at this. People ask me whether I wished I'd gotten into racing 10 years earlier. I mean, I guess. But I was just happy that I found the passion. This kind of gives me a little bit of hope, you know, because like... I love racing. Yeah. I love driving fast on track. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, to like get to those higher levels, it 
kind of does seem like you got to be best friends with your dad. Best friends with your dad, like kind of an introverted rich yeah. kid of sorts. In this day, it seems like in order to be a race car driver, not only do you have to come from rich parents, but you have to come from the rich kind of parents who will drive all over the country with you mm-hmm. every weekend uh, to race a car. Yeah. So the fact that he did so well in his late 20s is mm-hmm. like, okay, I think it's I, crazy. I you know who that. else started really late? Tanner Faust. Really? Didn't start driving till he was in college. No way. Yeah. Okay. There you okay. go. You could do it, man. Sweet. Lanier's racing career was taking off. He was being invited by teams from all over the world to drive for them. But driving was not the only career of his that was flourishing. In fact, he was making quite a name for himself in Colombian smuggling rings. I feel like that's a place you don't want to make a name for yourself. (laughs) You know, like even if you want to be successful in a Colombian drug smuggling ring, that you don't want to be called like, oh, you know, Randy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Randy will smuggle the drugs yeah. for us. You want to be called like El Guapo. <laughs> you know, like you want like a, a nickname or something. What would be your nickname? Uh, how do you spell, Felipe, how do you say lemon pepper in Spanish? <laughs> I have no idea. You don't know? How do you say cobra? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How do you say cobra in Spanish? Cobra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would be. Kentucky Cobra. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> oh, shit. El Kentucky Cobra. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, okay. Uh, in 1982, Lanier received a promotion in that Colombian drug smuggling ring. He was no longer a middleman distributor or runner. He could now purchase that wacky tobacco directly from the source himself, drastically improving his own profits. Soon, his outfit was expanded. His trawler had been turned into two trawlers, and then he bought some tugboats, <laughs> and then a barge for those tugboats to push. Um, his single boat operation had grown, and his vehicle inventory had become an armada of drug transports. He had a fleet. He had a fleet. Naturally, his proudest move was the barge. He discovered that by hollowing out a barge, he could pack it to the brim with Colombian gold while customs agents would be oblivious. Hey, why are you pushing this empty barge across the ocean? I don't know. Hmm? Uh, they would fun. cut open the ballast tanks, pack them with marijuana, and re-weld them shut. Pretty clever. The marijuana was packed in watertight packaging so they could fill the remaining space in the tank with water. That way, if agents did check the tanks, all they would find is salty, salty, brownie, brownie water. That's pretty smart. It is pretty smart. It's crazy. Dude, a barge yeah. of weed. It's a lot of weed. Yeah, with like a tugboat that pushes it. <laughs> And all the time, like, he's still, like, flying all over the world, yeah, racing Ferraris. Racing. How much do you think he fucked? A lot. A lot. <laughs> so much. Let me see what he looks like. Google. How much did Randy Lanyard fuck? Yeah, dude. He's fucking cool looking. Yeah, he's a he's a uh, good looking dude. Yeah, this dude smashed so much. He's got that cool 80s, early 90s mustache. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Flavor saber. Dude, look at him in this picture. He's doing yoga poses. Yeah, he's like into <laughs> yoga now, I guess. 
Anyway. Um, now, I just want to remind everyone that all this was happening at the same time as Pablo Escobar's cocaine operation in America. Customs agents were high. Customs agents <laughs> they were. Probably, they probably were high. <laughs> yeah, they probably were. Customs agents were on high alert. The war on drugs had just begun. Everywhere you looked, a new creative method was being discovered to smuggle drugs into the U.S. And Randy Lanier's operation was no exception. Even during interviews today, Lanier is still obviously visibly proud <laughs> of what he had accomplished with the barge. He says, shipments would routinely exceed 100,000 pounds. Oh, my God. Of sweet, sweet, dank nugs, baby. <laughs> and while he was nowhere near as prevalent as Escobar's billion-dollar cocaine empire... He was still making money faster than he could launder it. The first barge sailed up New York's East River and docked in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Lanier was present in a rental car for the big debut of his new scheme. The barge arrived in the harbor. Hey, guys! <laughs> I'm glad you're here! I got an idea! <laughs> the barge arrived in the harbor with over 130,000 pounds of Colombian gold. When the ballast tanks were cut open, it revealed stacks of marijuana over two stories tall, God. worth millions. Oh, my God. That's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot of weed. He was one of the few traffickers bold and cocky enough to transport a shipment of that size into the U.S. directly under officials' noses. Yeah, he's in the Navy Yard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do you get it out? I don't know. That's a lot of uh, baggies that need to be put in butts. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to keister all of it. What, Randy? <laughs> yeah, we got to keister all this weed, and we got to get in my rental car. <laughs> Randy, I don't think you thought this up. Listen, I'm the freaking criminal genius here. How about you just listen to old daddy, and I'll make you rich. All right, I guess he's got a point. Uh, here, now I got all these balloons. <laughs> And you're going to put all this marijuana, all 130,000 pounds of it in little tiny balloons, and you got to shove it up your little man back. You got to shove it up your back mouth. <laughs> I don't ever want to hear you say back mouth again. <laughs> to celebrate breaking 100,000 pounds, Lanyard did something that all business owners do. This is so cool. He made personalized hats <laughs> with the 100 Club yeah! embroidered on it. On top of that, Lanier's bookkeeper dubbed the new enterprise The Company. Ooh, sounds so mysterious. It's, but dude, it, it, hats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, boys, I got you all these hats. They say, look on the back, it says, I smuggled 130,000 pounds of Colombian gold into New York Navy Harbor. I'm going to have to keep that in my closet. I mean, I mean, <laughs> Why thanks. aren't you wearing yeah. your hats? <laughs> There's a cop right over there. Uh. Uh, as soon as he returned to Florida from New York, he began funneling money into his newest racing operation, Blue Thunder Racing. Hmm. And in 1984, Lanier partnered with the trio of brothers he had met years earlier, Don, Bill, and Dale Winnington. Hmm. Lanier and Dale had raced years earlier when he was just premiering on the scene. Yeah, we remember him. Now, racing is expensive, like really, really expensive. In fact, there's a term that's like if you want to turn a large fortune into a small one, try auto racing. Yeah. The investment required is absolutely insane, whether it's in a pit crew, racing hardware and design, or even just transporting the car from track to track. It's very, very expensive. It's not cheap at all. Mm -hmm. But Lanier's team always seemed unfazed by this. I never had a budget. No expense was spared. 
<laughs> Just like me going to Taco Bell. Uh, 1984 is when Lanier's auto racing career really flourished, okay, James? During the season, he cut his drug runs to maybe four or five a year, instead choosing to handle distribution. Just like any import business, really. Stuff would come off the boat, get loaded on trucks, we'd have warehouses all over the country. Drug smuggling forced him to lead separate lives, and he wasn't happy about that. It was like leading double lives, a whole bunch of betrayal and lies. I tried to hide it from my guys best I could <laughs> in disguise. <laughs> Kept it all separate from their eyes. Oh. I didn't want to be thinking about racing when I was drug running. I couldn't be thinking about grass when I was racing. That's hard to do. It's like a Johnny Cash yeah. song. I mean, <laughs> it was like leading double lives, a whole bunch of betrayal. And lies, tried to hide it from my guys, best I could, from their eyes, kept it all separate, didn't want to think about racing when I was rug running, and I couldn't be thinking about grass when I was racing. That was pretty good. Thanks. <laughs> On the track, he kept winning races, and more and more money was being funneled into the team. One driver remarked, I don't know where the hell these Blue Thunder guys came from. But they're the only race team where everyone in the pit crew wears a Rolex. <laughs> Why don't we have a Rolex? <laughs> to try to keep up with the incredible... Guy, that guy sounds like a real square. Yeah. You can't wear a Rolex. Why do you? They have Rolexes and we don't. <laughs> so since racing is so expensive, mm -hmm. uh, teams normally have giant sponsor logos that they have on their car. But the Blue Thunder racing team had none of those. Lanier was beating large sponsored teams with only the logo of a local theme restaurant on, on his car. At times, the Blue Thunder team would even put fake sponsors on their car just to satisfy the curious audience and keep questions from other teams at bay. That's pretty... That's sick. Like just making shit up and putting it on there? <laughs> yeah. That's this, funny. uh, yep, yeah, I've got a new title sponsor this year. It's, uh, Bats. <laughs> yeah, all the Bats got together. And uh, they wanted to diversify their portfolio, so they decided, you know, squeak, 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 let's invest in a racing team. And, you know, um, any more questions? Nope. All right. Later. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that would make this story better is if, if his number was 420. Yeah. Uh, that would be too, too on the nose. <laughs> I mean, he's pretty on the nose. <laughs> But his whole pit crew, he's got a he's like, pretty, yeah. he's got a barge. Yep. God, the whole pit crew has Rolexes. We need to get a barge. We need to get a barge. The big donut barge. Big party barge. Yeah, dude. <laughs> dude, and then we could like, dude, we could put like a Gymkhana course on there. Dude, we put a Gymkhana course on there, and then we could freaking smoke some dubs, and then do backflips off the side, and all, all, the, all the girls would be like, oh my god, these dudes are so dangerous. They have a barge. I'd put it. We could put an ice skating rink on our barge. Um, Hoonigan, if you guys, the burn barge is our idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if Hoonigan shows up with a burn barge, then we know they listen to our yeah. podcast. And then, hey, thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Leave us a five star review, please. <laughs> uh, 1984 was a great year for Lanier. He would win race after race, six wins in total. It was enough to score him a driver's championship position. With one race to remain. The Blue Thunder Racing Team won on all of the major American racetracks, from Sebring to Laguna Seca to Charlotte. He was unstoppable and finished his season as an IMSA champion. He was given the Most Improved Driver Award. 
that feeling of success got addictive. I can quit at any time, man. Well, I can quit at any time, but I like two things, smoking dubs and racing cars. Between the races in 1984, Lanier and his partners had smuggled in another barge load carrying over 150 pounds of marijuana. Yeah, that was a golden year for me, racing, smuggling. I just made tens of millions of dollars. Cash was rolling in. I felt on top of the world. Randy began spending money uh, in the same way he spends it on racing. He bought a fleet of exotic cars. Uh, he bought three vacation homes in the Rocky Mountains. Honestly, if I was to buy three vacation homes, I would diversify mm -hmm. where they were instead of having them all. I like to imagine his homes in the Rocky Mountains at different points in the mountain, and they uh, have water slides going to each other oh, and escalators going back to the top that's ones. That's sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I would do. It's like a kingdom in my head. <laughs> uh, he would fly to races with Pam in private jets. He hosted lavish parties and would fill their houses <laughs> multiple hot tubs with Don Perignon champagne. <laughs> yeah, man, it was crazy wild times. Learjets, bales of weed, drawers full of money. I even once paid to truck in a circle of elephants for my little girl's birthday party. That's, uh, Randy, that's too much. <laughs> no, nothing's too much for my little girl. And then what I did, it was the best steaks I ever ate. <laughs> Randy, no. Most of the money was laundered in overseas accounts, but there was still just too much to handle. They began construction on their largest front yet, the Bell Gardens Bicycle Club in California, a 100,000-square-foot casino. We was all spending money by the millions. When we built it, it was the largest card casino in the USA. Dang. But there was one thing he wanted more than anything. Randy wanted to race in the Indy 500. I wanted to race the biggest race in the United States. I didn't see no limits. He had no experience driving Indy cars, and the race's average speed was much faster than anything he had ever driven up to that point. He only recently began racing in the kart series, which at the time was the primary open-wheel series in the U.S. While traveling 214 miles an hour during one kart race, a tire blew and his car crashed into a wall, shattering his femur with such force that the bone broke through his fire suit. Uh, he was still very inexperienced with open-wheel cars, but that did not dissuade him from wanting to run the Indy 500. Dude, getting a compound fracture is one thing, but going through your suit yeah. is next level. Those suits are fireproof. And they're thick, too. Yeah, they're thick suits. They're thick. Two Cs. Um, that is... I can't believe you survived that. Yeah. Nuts. Lanier had a similar mindset to Henry Ford II, a.k.a. Hank the Deuce, in the Ford versus Ferrari rivalry. Lanier believed that money was the great equalizer. He believed he could take on the best of drivers as long as he had the money to do it. And soon, Lanier was funneling hundreds of thousands of dollars into training, equipment testing, and track time to get ready for the big race. Alongside preparations for the Indy 500, Randy and the company mm. began working on plans to use the barge and smuggle in their largest shipment yet, a haul of 166,000 pounds of marijuana worth about $55 million. 
Lanier was growing increasingly paranoid, feeling as if the FBI and local authorities were watching him everywhere. Dude, that's because you're smoking sativa, dude. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, dude, you need to get, like, you need to get indica couch dude i'm telling you it's indica it's not gonna make dude bro smoke this it's indica it's not gonna make you paranoid it's not gonna make you paranoid and then guess what it does that happened to me like last week (laughs) i got a vape pen from one of those apple store places and i got really paranoid watching star wars it got very intense well because you're watching star wars very intense movie it was crazy it's literally darkness versus light i did not consider that which star wars were you watching uh it was the newest one. <laughs> oh, yeah that's why you're stressed out you're yeah. like it's like this movie sucks <laughs> is, is it just me or does the no. movie suck no nah, movies nah. he claimed that the brother had been arrested and he was cooperating informing lanier that the fbi had placed him under surveillance <gasps> at the time of this discovery the barge was only 10 days off the coast of new orleans prepared to unload their largest haul yet although the risks were huge Lanier and his partner continued with the operation. Man, I tell you what, we were so committed. There was so much money, so many people involved. So much had been spent on racing and the casino and, you know, my homes with the water slides to each other in Colorado. I had to smuggle just to keep up. Lanier ordered the barge to change ports from Louisiana. The new plan was for the barge to cross the Panama Canal and dock at a harbor in California they had used in a previous run. They hoped this to be his final load. Oh, yeah. (laughs) My plan was to get out of the game and live a good life. I wanted to continue racing. I was probably just getting greedy. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. A week after the decision was made, roughly 300,000 fans gathered at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to watch Lanier compete in the 1986 Indianapolis 500. Once David Hasselhoff finished singing the national anthem, the race began. It was a close race, and a fast one too. Speeds were well over 200 miles per. By the end of the race, Lanier finished in 10th place. As he stated, It would only get better. And everyone believed that was true. Randy was given the title of Indy 500's Rookie of the Year. And this was only his third year racing full-time. People were beginning to get suspicious of the Blue Thunder racing team. Rumors began to spread about how the team funded their racing. He consistently outraced drivers such as Mario Andretti and Emerson Fittipaldi. 1986 had proved to be a rough year for drivers. Remember the Paul family from earlier? The ones that confronted Lanier for doing wheelies on a four-wheeler in the pits? Well, John Sr. had been sentenced to 20 years for attempted murder of a federal drug witness. And in 1986, John Paul Jr. was sentenced to five years in prison for his involvement in his father's drug trafficking ring. So naturally, Randy was like, what? Y'all guys doing this too? Oh, hell yeah. Man, we should have been hanging out. I would have let you done wheelies on my four-wheeler. <laughs> Along with the Paul family, the Whittington brothers, whom he had started the Blue Thunder racing team with, had also gotten themselves tangled up with the law. Just a few months before the Indy 500 race, Don and Bill Whittington were brought in on trafficking and tax evasion charges. A few years earlier, Don and Bill had purchased the Road Atlanta racetrack in 1979. Road Atlanta has one of the longest straightaways of any racetrack in America, and they would use the secluded backstretch to land aircraft and smuggle in marijuana. It was obviously that the sport had a drug problem, uh, if you consider marijuana a drug, which I do not. 
And that forced all eyes on Lanyer. To this day... Okay, hold on. How sick is that, though, that they were using that straight away? Dude, can you imagine, like, landing any plane is kind of scary. Can you imagine landing, like, with high walls on a racetrack? Yeah, it's got walls, and then Mm -hmm. I think on the the left-hand side, there's, like, a huge row of trees as well. Mm -hmm. You gotta be a ballsy pilot to do that. yeah. That's pretty nuts. I bet those guys would party. Oh, yeah. Like a ballsy-ass pilot and then some race car drivers all smuggling drugs. They partied hard. They probably fucked each other. I mean, maybe. Probably. They definitely <laughs> fuck near each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, to this day, Lanier firmly denies any involvement with the Whittington's smuggling enterprise, which I believe. He mm-hmm. had his own thing going on. Yeah. Like, he's too focused on that. Maybe while, he was... Just, I was just a consultant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, while both sides knew their sources of income, they had a don't ask, don't tell policy when it came to extra racing affairs and income streams so they knew what was going on but they didn't don't ask yeah don't i don't i don't want to know man yeah i don't want to know things began unfolding all around lanyer and his luck was running out several months after the indy 500 the barge finally arrived in san francisco though there were complications oh no it turned out that the salt water had leaked into the barge's compartments causing some of the marijuana bales to decompose and emit methane when cutting open the tanks to extract the marijuana an acetylene torch ignited the methane and started a fire that killed two welders almost 22,000 pounds of marijuana was forced to be abandoned lanier and the company had to scuttle the barge and it sank to the bottom of the ocean on that barge were the bodies of the two dead men, wrapped up in tarps, dragged to the seafloor by the sunken barge. Dang. This just took a turn. It took a turn. I, that wasn't very cool of them to... <laughs> Lanier returned to Florida filled with paranoia. Now he was not only a smuggler, but a murderer? Somewhat? Yeah. I think the, the law would see it that way, probably. Yeah. He would only take calls on payphones. He hid out in a condo under a fake name and believed that federal agents would trail him everywhere. Lanier returned to Florida naturally filled with paranoia. He had just gone from Walter White to Heisenberg immediately. Can you imagine the call to just be like, let's sink it? Yeah, that's some cold-hearted shit. Yeah, I want to go visit the reef. (laughs) I want to go dive in this reef. He would only take calls on payphones. He hid out in a condo under a fake name, and he believed that federal agents would trail him everywhere. They probably did. Yeah, they were definitely trailing him. He would always take the back exit in stores and never frequent in the same place more than a few times. Dang. That was my third visit to that Taco Bell. I can't go back. (laughs) Now I got to drive all the way to Tuscaloosa. (laughs) In January of 1978, Lanier's wife, Pam, went to the hospital and gave birth to the couple's second child. Lanier snuck in to hold his newborn son, then slipped back out with the intention of picking them up once she had recovered. While at a deli near the condo, Lanier saw a familiar face on the news. His. Indy race car driver Randy Lanier has been indicted on federal drug trafficking charges. I paid for my bagel, packed my shit, and got the fuck out of town. It turned out that a low-level dealer in central Illinois had been busted with a few pounds of cannabis in his broken-down truck. The Reagan administration had been pushing for investigators to pursue all drug crimes in their war on drugs, and investigators worked their way up the supply chain until they finally found Lanier. 
It was a game of dominoes. I know I should have never trusted Takashi Six Nine. <laughs> I mean, that dude in Ellen, uh, broken down truck. I mean, that's that's why this 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 smuggling game. I'm gonna call mm-hmm. it the game now. This yeah. is why the game is so dangerous because like some cheese ball. Yeah, that you know d- he didn't like. <laughs> he didn't. Uh, Changed the oil in his, mm-hmm. you know, Dodge D50 and broke down somewhere. And then some cop came to like help him, probably. And then yeah. was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I smell marijuana. <laughs> no. <laughs> but that's like going back to here's why you don't want to make a name for yourself. Yeah. Make up a cool alias like El Kentucky Cobra. <laughs> <laughs> what would your drug trafficker name be? Hmm. Barack Obama. (laughs) Sick. Yeah. Randy slipped out of Florida in the sleeper cab of a semi-truck and hid out in rural Pennsylvania. After a few weeks, he flew to London and met up with a woman he had previously been involved with romantically. See? You know? He's too deep in the game. He's too deep in the game. He's like... Cheating on his wife. Cheating on his wife. Skips out after his second kid's been born. Now he's with some chick. Yeah, his kid's like... My age. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, probably. With the millions he had hidden in overseas accounts, he believed he could build a new life with the drug money he had stashed away. He considered either starting over in Spain or even racing again in New Zealand under an alias. Hey, man, what's your name? Brandy Leonard. Brandy. Brandy Linear. Randy Linear. Damn it. (laughs) While he was hiding out in Europe, an unrelated break in a case in London had further dismantled Lanier's organization. An accountant involved in laundering money for Lanier and other high-profile drug operations had been found guilty of laundering money for a $40 million gold heist that took place four years earlier. In exchange for a reduced sentence, he provided information about some of his clients, like Randy. Leaving Europe, Lanier flew to Antigua, where he had a 60-foot fishing boat waiting of for him. Of course he did. Gotta go back to the boats, man. The plan was to relax for a few weeks and <laughs> sail back to Spain, but he and his mistress were surrounded by authorities on their boat soon after he arrived. He hurried to shore and tried to escape on foot, but was eventually captured and brought to Puerto Rico, where he was immediately arrested for drug trafficking. Two dozen members of the company testified against Lanier at the trial. Their testimonies detailed Lanier's rise from a mid-level distributor to an absolute kingpin. Officials estimated that Lanier alone had earned $68 million from the operation. $180 million of the company's assets were seized by the government in the largest federal forfeiture in U.S. history. Lanier and two other associates were sentenced to life in prison as the amounts he had smuggled labeled him as a major kingpin. Dang. Life in prison. Life. It's kind of whack. It's a lot of weed. Oh, and then those two guys. Yeah, those two guys died. I can see that. But I mean, I bet the the deaths of those two guys probably sealed that life in prison sentence. Lanier sealed them in that barge, yeah. dropped them to the bottom of the ocean. That's pretty fucked up. That's super fucked up, yeah. dude. <sighs> Lanier was kept at many medium security prisons until he was eventually moved to Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary. Mm. He had a plot to escape each of those prisons by helicopter. <laughs> He'd contracted a helicopter pilot to land and spirit him out one day during the exercise yard. <laughs> 
It wasn't long until a prison official caught wind of this plan and told him, if you think you're landing a helicopter in this prison, I'm shooting you. And I'm shooting that helicopter down. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. In another facility, he had planned to escape inside a vending machine. <laughs> <laughs> He'd been given life without parole, also known as the natural death penalty. So he had nothing to lose by trying to escape. After the multiple escape attempts, he was labeled an extreme escape risk and was transferred to a supermax prison in Florence, Colorado, where he was held in solitary confinement. Good. I like Colorado. <laughs> he was allowed out of his cell one hour per day and only allowed to pace around in a small cage. His empire was in ruin. The government had seized everything from the web of offshore accounts to the Bell Gardens Bicycle Club Casino, which the U.S. Marshals continued to operate after <laughs> seizing it. Yeah, I'm just going to stay here. In 2005, Lanier was moved to a low security prison. To keep his mind active and off his crimes, he took up chess and painting. Mm. He even gave meditation a try, which now explains that yoga pose picture that mm. we found earlier. Uh, he slowly came to the conclusion, I am abound with hatred. I have to forgive. There is no time. I just am. He's so Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> In 2014, Lanier was released from prison. The actual reasons behind his release are still unknown and are held under tight lock and key. According to Lanier, I can't say enough about the Obama administration and the Justice Department having a grasp on reality. When you see it from the inside, you realize that the majority of the war on drugs offenders with major time are nonviolent. Except for me, because I sealed those two guys' bodies in a big barge and scuttled it to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> forever damning them to a watery grave for all eternity. But that's just me. <laughs> if you ask Lanier about his empire today, he's surprisingly casual about the whole thing. He basically just says, hey man, it was the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> um, as Sports Illustrated puts it, it was a decade of excess and South Florida was the gravitational center. It was the time of Miami Vice and the gold chains and pastel clothes and speedboats of Crockett and Tubbs. This was Linear's reality. At age 60, he had served 27 years. According to the people around him, every day is like a new adventure in technology to Randy. <laughs> One thing that surprised him the most, the most, James. The most. Was that folks no longer used roadmaps. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to like, like, you're just like, what? It's a what pad? <laughs> Wait, where's the buttons? <laughs> I know. That that would be pretty insane, actually. Yeah. But this, like, that's what they have to say about it. Yeah, yeah, Grandpa doesn't know how computers work. <laughs> Lanier now works as a weekend driving instructor. Sorry. Lanier now works as a weekend driving instructor at Homestead Miami Speedway. And he says, I have no regrets, but I do have remorse. I left Pam with a seven-day-old baby. I left my seven-year-old daughter. I have more remorse for getting my father tangled up. I have great remorse for going down the path I did. I lived and learned from my mistakes and only want to do good for people by shaving seconds off of their lap times. There you go. And that's the story. What a crazy Lanier. story. Yeah. Does someone own the rights to that movie? I don't know, but we should. We should. Because that's really good. 
perfect one part yeah, podcast. That was super fun. Uh, if you like this podcast, we have a few other episodes up already, and mm-hmm. then we will be releasing out. new episodes every Monday, everywhere that podcasts are streamed. Yeah. Uh, again, it really, really helps us out when you guys leave reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the most fun, and I'm I so glad it. we get to do it. I'm so hyped. Uh, follow James on Instagram and Twitter at James Pumphrey, and, and follow me on those same platforms at Nolan J. Sykes. And, of course, uh, check out our videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm. We are called Donut Media. Um, I love you. Be nice. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.